You've found the Everything Apostolic Podcast. Delight your soul, feed your spirit, and sharpen your mind with anointed teaching and discussion on subjects such as faith healing, miracles, end-time prophecy, holiness, and everything that apostolics love. And now here's your host, pastor, author, blogger, and teacher, Charles Rodas. Welcome to Everything Apostolic. Well, praise the Lord. I'm so glad that you've joined with me again today. Uh, Last week we did a uh, podcast uh, entitled uh, The Oneness of God According to Isaiah. Well, today uh, we're going to do a podcast entitled uh, The Oneness of God According to Paul. So what I'm going to do today, if, you, if you're if you sitting and you're not driving and if you'd like to grab your Bible, I'm telling you, I've got some great stuff here for you. We're going to, we're going to go through the writings of Paul and I'm just going to go through quite a few things here, quite a few verses. We're going to be going over one after another and I'm going to be commenting on them. I'll make some other references, you know, probably to other scriptures. Uh, but what I'm going to be reading to you is from Paul's writing, starting in the book of Romans. So, amen. Uh, this is a series. Uh, this is a, a number two in this series. And I'm not sure how long we're going to go. We'll see on that. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So let's focus on verse three for a second concerning his son, his son, the son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David. How was he made? According to the seed of David, according to the flesh. Before the flesh of Christ, before he was born in Bethlehem, by Mary, that young virgin lady, virgin girl, probably a teenager, before that happened, there was no Son of God. It was in the mind of God, because God knows the end from the beginning, but there was no Son of God before that. All right? The Son of God was referred to, Okay, because it was in the plan of God. All right, so yes, always in the plan of God. All right, so his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made, how? Of the seed of David. That's where he was made according to the flesh. So that flesh was the son of God. Now, the, the, the Trinity teaching is that the son of God existed before uh, the world began, that the Son of God existed as a person with God, as God the Father, then God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And so they teach that Jesus, the Son of God, existed uh, in eternal. They say that the Son of God is eternal. That's not a biblical teaching. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that the Son was eternal. All right. Yes, he was in the mind of God. Again, you were in the mind of God. That's right. You were in the mind of God a billion years ago. That's right. He knows, like I said, the end from the beginning. He knows all things. All right, let's move on. We're going to tie a whole lot of things, a lot of scriptures. As I go through, we'll kind of reference back and forth because that's just how the scripture is written. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it's pretty going to be pretty awesome here. I'm excited about this. And same book, Romans 1, verse 19 and 20, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. All right? God has showed it unto them. Does it say that God hath hid it from them? No, God didn't hide it. The devil hides things. All right? God has showed it unto them for the invisible things. What what things? The invisible things of him of who? Him from the creation of the world are 
really confusing, being misunderstood. Is that what it says? No. If you have your Bible, you know it, or you may know the passage. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood. Let's say that again. God has showed it unto them, number one. For the invisible things of him from the creation world are clearly, clearly seen, being understood. Now, the teaching of the Trinity is that it's a mystery. You cannot understand it. You cannot understand uh, the Godhead. That's the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And we know that <clears throat> historically, historically uh, it's historically proven that the Roman Catholic Church are the ones that changed the baptism. All right, they begin bat baptizing in the Trinity formula in the late 2nd century, then 325 A.D., they made it church dogma at the Nicene Council. We all know that. And that's when they begin to change this teaching of God into God as three persons, somewhere in that time frame. <clears throat> All right, so the invisible things are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his, what? His eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Those that don't understand it, they're without excuse. These things that God has showed it unto them. Sure, they're invisible. They cannot be seen. They cannot be seen with the natural eye. But you can have a revelation. They're clearly seen, verse 20. All right, so that they're without excuse. Being understood so that, that they are without excuse. Even his eternal power and God. The very subject I'm talking about at this very moment they're without excuse for not understanding it. That's on them. They choose not to under, understand. They choose not to seek God. Nobody can help them. They have to humble themselves and seek the face of God. All right, Romans 8, chapter, yeah, chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh an intercession for us. So we're going to touch on this a little bit a couple different times. But let me say right here, I do want to, you know, there, there is a teaching I could do. I could probably get through it in 15 to 30 minutes, not doing that tonight in this podcast. But talking about the right hand of God, the right hand of God is a symbolic term. And every language group, every people group have their, I think what it's called, idioms. <laughs> they have their own uh, met, metaphor. Uh, uh, we speak in metaphors. Metaphor, I can't even say it right now. <laughs> uh, we have our metaphors. It's, you know, it rained so hard today. I could say it was raining like cats and dogs, but it really wasn't. It was raining more like, you know, uh, elephants and giraffes. I mean, man, it was just coming down like the days of Noah. And there were there was warnings out on the news, you know, how dangerous it was going to be. And so but to say it was raining like cats and dogs, that's that's a metaphor. You know, that's symbolic language. And so the right hand of God is symbolic language. I'm going to come back to that in another passage here in a bit. All right. Romans 16, 25, 25 through 27. Uh, let's see what we'll read here. Maybe 25, 26. Uh, not to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. Whoa, let's back up. According to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. All right, so there's a revelation uh, according to the revelation of the mystery. Not according to the mystery, but a revelation of there's a the mystery has been revealed, which was kept secret since the world began. But now it's been made, it's been revealed, but now is made manifest. Praise God. It's been made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Again, we talked about in Romans chapter one, but here again, the revelation, uh, it's been according to the revelation of the mystery. 
it was kept secret since the but now is made manifest Romans 16 powerful powerful passage uh, just like the one in Romans chapter 1 yeah amazing amazing i love it see and to so you know the teaching that you can't understand are we, am I, do do any of us understand all about god no no do do all of us understand all of this no but he has given us revelation enough to understand he has oh thank god for it he has given us revelation so that we can know about god all right first corinthians 12 and verse 6 and there are diversities of operations but it is the same god which worketh all in all have you ever noticed this verse before have you ever paid attention to this verse there are diversities of operations all right uh previous broadcast we talked about god the father god the son god the holy ghost all right god the son and god the holy ghost are not biblical terms those are man-made terms those are terms to prop up the trinity doctrine god the father is a biblical term but god was manifest in the flesh you know so we have the father of creation okay that's a title we have son and redemption that, that took away our sins through the new birth that's a title, the Son of God. Then we have the Holy Spirit. That's a title. That's that's the infilling of God's Spirit in our lives. Praise God. So there are diversity, diversities of operations. God operates in different ways. He operates as a father. He came and operated as a son. And now he operates as the Holy Ghost in our individual lives. Jesus even said, he said, uh, the, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit, however he termed it at the time, cannot come because I'm still here. <laughs> in other words, there's, there's not two of us. We're not separate. He said, but lo, uh, I will come to you. <laughs> That's in St. John. We, maybe we'll get to that another time. All right. So back to 12 and 6, 1 Corinthians. But it is the same God which worketh all in all. In other words, it's not separate persons. Paul wasn't even personally dealing with a Trinity teaching at this time because there was no Trinity teaching in the days of Paul. It did not exist. All right. Again, it didn't exist for over 200 years after Christ, maybe close to 300 years after Christ. Somewhere in that time frame, maybe the end of the second century, first part of the third century. And this is where the Trinity teaching of the God that we serve came to be known. Now, there was a teaching way back in the Old Testament of a trinity and we're not going to get into that that was not talking about the trinity god that we the trend trying to make our god into a trinity that was a pagan trinity all right again we're not going to get into that but that pagan trinity we could talk about it uh there actually that was where this original uh false teaching came from it came from that original pagan trinity because why again i, I said it last time but false religion and false teachings about god uh, always try to make god a multiplicity of persons or gods now not to be critical but again the roman catholic church what do they do they worship mary they call her the mother of god they pray to mary they pray to all these dead quote-unquote saints all these dead people all right they they have made them gods in other words they could hear your prayer and they could answer your prayer there's only one mediator between man and god that's the man christ jesus all right so first corinthians 8 and 4 as concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other god but one not not you know he could have said three there's three persons in god he didn't say that uh, again, the, the term three persons in reference to God is never used one time in the Bible. Near 900,000 words in the Bible, 66 books, Genesis, the Revelation, and not one time did God use the word persons in reference to God. But it dominates, quote unquote, Christian churches today and the beliefs of people. Okay, because when you believe certain things, they don't, they're not preaching turning away from sin, and the carnal man does not want to repent and turn away from sin, so they, they can have their cake and eat it too, in a sense, they feel like. They can have their religion and God too, they feel, and keep their 
sin. Of course, true Christianity is about repentance. It's all about repentance, forsaking sin, all right, being washed being washed uh, from those sins by the name of Jesus through water baptism, all right, and then being filled with the Holy Ghost, the water and the spirit birth. There's none of the God but one. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17. Now, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, it's very easy to read a verse and read right over it. And for years, uh, some years, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years, probably, maybe 20 years. I don't know. A long time. I read right over this verse and didn't see it until it was pointed out to me. I didn't see the Godhead part of this verse. I didn't really see what God was saying about himself. Uh-huh. Do you see it? Do you know what, Do you know where I'm going? All right. Now, the Lord is that spirit. Let's break that down a little more. The Lord. Who? The Lord. Jehovah God is that spirit. But who do we say the Lord? And we say that Jesus is Lord because Jesus is Lord. Now, the Trinitarians would say the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord. Three separate lords or three separate persons making up one Lord. That's how they would define that. <clears throat> but we know the Lord is Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. John, the Apostle John, where, what, what, what chapter was that? Uh, in St. Uh, or Thomas, rather, I believe, in St. John. Uh, yeah, it was Doubting Thomas. He said, "My when Jesus appeared and showed him the scars in his hands and his wounded side after he'd risen from the dead, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. <clears throat> now, when Thomas said that, Thomas was not swearing. He was not, you know, saying that out of bewilderment. He was not saying that in any kind of a swearing manner, but he instantly had a revelation that Jesus was the Lord, the Old Testament Lord, because they only knew one Lord. Okay, Jehovah was Lord to them. That's right, Jehovah was Lord to them. And Thomas said, my Lord and the second person of the Trinity? No, he said, my Lord and my God. He received an instant revelation. Something hit him, and that happens. <clears throat> All right, that can happen to you if it has not happened. If you're open, if you're not argumentative, if you're not fighting this, okay, the Lord will reveal himself to you. And I'm going to give you a testimony about that in a minute. <clears throat> about a relative. Uh, all right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll read 3 and 4, uh, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Who is the image of God, should shine. Jesus is the image of God, huh, Jesus is the image, all right, in a minute we're going to talk about a coin, and we're going to talk about a mirror, let's come back to that, all right, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, do you see the point of the Godhead here, all right, did you see that other one I was talking about in 2 Corinthians 3.17? The Lord is that spirit. What, what spirit is the Lord? The Lord is the Holy Spirit. Right. The Lord is that spirit, capital S. The Lord is that Holy Spirit. The Lord is the Holy Ghost. Jesus and the Holy Ghost are one in the same. <clears throat> Amen. That's what that's talking about. I don't think I said that clearly. That's why I want to jump back to that real quick. So 2 Corinthians 5.19, to wit that God was in Christ. What does that mean? To wit that God was inside Christ. Where was God? Inside Christ. Who was in Christ? God was in Christ. All right? So it wasn't separate persons. No. God was inside of Christ, walking around doing the miracles. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If you let it, the scripture will defend itself. It's like a tiger. It's like a lion. And it will truly 
defend itself. All right. All right. Galatians 1 and verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Now, most of the Christian world can probably quote and has as a favorite Bible verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So the idea is here that one person is giving another person to die. All right? I, I'm telling you right now, <clears throat> if, if, if somebody's going to die in a situation, I'm not going to send my son to do it. All right. If, if the car is coming down the road and my son is in the street, I will jump if I can, and I will push him out and I will take the hit. All right. I will, I will save that for myself. I will take, I will take the blow. I will take the death. All right. Because that's what a father does. The father will go. The father will do. All right. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But you've got to understand that God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest. And so how do we, can we explain John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only born son. God is a spirit, John 4.24. God is not a man that he should lie. God is not sitting. God, the spirit, is not sitting on a chair somewhere today. The heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. God is omnipresent. He's not sitting. We will see the throne and we will see him sitting on the throne, but we will see him as John saw him in Revelation 4, verse 2. John said, Behold, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit and I saw a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Did he see the Spirit of God sitting on the throne? No. He saw the sacrifice. He saw the Lamb of God. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ sitting down as God. Praise the Lord. So we'll get back to Galatians 1.4. Who gave himself for our sins. It doesn't say that the first person gave the second person. <clears throat> it says he gave himself for our sins. All right? You've got to get that. He gave himself. So you can compare that to John 3.16. Here it says, who gave himself. It was not one person giving another. When you understand the dual nature of Christ, all right, uh, he was both God and man. All right? The Father dwelt in him. He said, I'm in the Father and the Father in me. He said that in St. John. That's why I said, to wit that God was in Christ. I just read that to you. All right, who gave himself for our sins. Let's, let's go down. Chapter 2, verse 20 of Galatians. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and was given by the first person of the Trinity. No, it does not say that. Was given by the Father. It doesn't even say that. And gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Now I just read to you Galatians 1.4. Who gave himself for our sins. Galatians 2.20. And gave himself for me. My, isn't that powerful? Isn't that extraordinary? <clears throat> All right, so you've got to get that. He gave himself. The Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life. All right. He was God manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16. Galatians 3.20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. God is one in number. God is not two in any way. God is not three in any way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, but God is one. Paul the Apostle was a Jew. <clears throat> That's what they believe. He was of the Sanhedrin. Just like Jews today believe that God is one. Now, for a long time, I, I really desired to talk to a Jewish rabbi um, that you know pastored a synagogue. 
And for years, I just wanted to do that. I wanted to talk to one. I just wanted to talk about this a little bit if I could. And then one day I got the opportunity and we did talk and I was on the phone with him and it was through, um, through my work. Um, I, I've been in sales, insurance sales for life, for my whole life <laughs> since I was 19 years old. Uh, but, uh, I was talking to a Jewish rabbi and I began to talk to him about persons and it was very clear to me. They don't teach that God is three persons. They don't teach that. Okay. You know why they don't teach that? Because they never taught that. This is why Trinitarian Christians, when they try to convert Jewish people, they have the most difficult time because the Jews do not want to submit to believing that God is three persons. They do not believe that in the hour that we live, the Jews do not believe that. And they have never believed that. Now, if you get one that's converted to a Trinity church, sure, they might believe that. But I'm talking about a Jew that goes to synagogue, you know, that they don't profess Christianity at all. They don't believe that Jesus is the Savior. They don't believe that God is three persons. All right. No, they don't. They don't now. And they never have. The Apostle Paul didn't believe it. Moses didn't believe it. Adam did not believe it. All right. Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. You know where I'm reading from? I'm reading from the Bible. All right. I'm actually reading from my book called God is One, the topical Bible. You can get that on Amazon. Boy, is it a great study tool. That's what I'm using here for this study because it is a Bible, but I've just taken out the hundreds of scriptures, all that I could find. And no doubt I have missed some, but uh, hundreds of scriptures. This is the most exhaustive uh, conglomeration of uh, scriptures on the subject of the Godhead you will ever find. I boldly claim that. I have looked myself to find something more complex uh, than this, and I could not find it. Uh, so that's why I'm saying it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, great study tool. I'm just reading down. I've highlighted the verses that I want to use today and have been studying them as I have for many years. But let's read it again, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, that means when, you know, when, when when it was the right time. In other words, when it was the right time, God sent forth his son. Whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, stop right there. But there's no period there. There's a comma. You've got to read the rest of it. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. How did God send forth his son? He spoke a seed into that little virgin girl named Mary. The Holy Ghost overshadowed her. And I got a question for you. If the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are separate persons and the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary, doesn't that make the Holy Ghost the Father? Hmm? If the Holy Ghost impregnated Mary with that seed, doesn't that make the Holy Ghost the Father? It doesn't say the Father overshadowed her. It says the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. All right? So, you know, I guess they could say there's some adultery going on in the Godhead. No, my friend, that this is where confusion comes from because the Holy Ghost is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God is God and he is holy, making him the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Isn't that simple enough? This is more simple than they want to make it. All right. All right, so when was the fullness of time come? What happened when the fullness of time, when everything was just right and the time was right, what happened? God sent forth his son. How? Made of a woman. Made of a woman. When Mary gave birth. All right. When Mary gave birth, that's when God sent forth his son. Praise God. When that baby was born and laid in a manger, that's when God sent forth his son. And it tells us when it happened. It was under the law. It didn't happen in eons and millions of years ago. No, it happened under the time of the law. Now, in in the days of um, Adam, there was there was no law. You know, the the law came by Moses. All right, that's where the law started. Until Moses, there was no law. So, uh, in, in when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hopefully you know this, but that was a time of the law. Praise God. Those were the days of the law. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is in our New Testament, but the dispensation is Old Testament. 
dispensation. When the when Jesus died and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, that's what separates the Old Testament from the New Testament dispensations. All right. So God sent forth his son. All right. And he used a little virgin girl named Mary, the spouse to Joseph, made of a woman. And the timing was made under the law. So when they tell you when the Trinitarian. I want to tell you about a book I put together a while back. It's called God is One. It's a topical Bible on scriptures that are referencing the Godhead. In this God is One book has hundreds of scriptures on the subject of the Godhead, the oneness of God. Matter of fact, you're not going to find any book or any writing anywhere that has more scriptures on the Godhead than this book right here. Now, it's a, it's a study tool is what it is. It's, it's not my opinion. I didn't write anything in this book. This is Bible verses. But what I did, I separated the verses from Genesis to Revelation. I separated the verses with space where you can use it to make notes. This is a study tool. When you study on the Godhead, and let's say you're looking at 1 Timothy 3.16, you know, God was manifest in the flesh, you know, that verse. Well, then you might have other passages, or you might have your own personal notes or feelings or thoughts. You could write them in the paperback. I have a, there's a Kindle version as well. But you could write them in that, okay? Just just a, a great tool, uh, Godhead tool for your Godhead library studies, okay, that you can use and have your notes in one place always instead of a notepad here, a notepad there, a Word, Word document here and there. You can have it all in one place. Uh, Grant F. Uh, made a comment on Amazon about it. He said, great oneness reference tool. This is so wonderfully put together, easy to use and reference all of the scripture text on the oneness of our God. I love it out. It is space to make notes. This is a great tool, not just for the oneness believer, but if you are a person that is interested in knowing, and he goes on, you know, uh, there's another testimony from Christy R. She says, good reference book for Godhead scriptures. This is a great book to have as a reference for all the Godhead scriptures in one easy to, uh, to locate place according to the books of the Bible. And it is. Well, take a look at it on Amazon paperback and uh, Kindle. Blessings to you. Praise the Lord. Let's get back into this, back into Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. We were into that and our time ran out here. So let's get into that again. Remember, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Okay, I want to make sure you have that very important verse, something to meditate upon because you know the timing. Because the argument, again, with a Trinitarian is that the Son was eternal, that he always existed. Well, if he always existed as the Son of God, if there was a second person is existing as the Son of God, my question to you, who was his mo mother in eternity? If he was born in Bethlehem and Mary was his mother, who was his, um, who was his mother in, in, in eternity before, before Bethlehem uh, for, you know, for eons of time? that God has existed, all right, eternal as he is, and if there was a second person of the Trinity, who was his mother and who was his father then? All right, we'll say God was his father, okay? But who was his mother? Because Mary was a woman, all right? But I know the Catholic Church, they want to lift her up as a God. You study that out, all right? I make this statement, but I've already studied it out. I know that, all right? I know that for a fact. So uh, not all Catholics know that. But not all Catholics, you know, know their basic teachings anyway, you know, so uh, not criticizing. That's just the way life is. Not all of us understand what we're sitting under sometimes. And that's the way it is with them. So anyway, let's go to Ephesians, uh, another book by Paul, chapter one, 
verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. After the counsel of whose will? His own will. Not somebody else's will, his own will. All right? On the day of creation, when God was making creating this earth and all that he created the sun the moon the stars and all that he did you know he wasn't talking to um a second person you can go to genesis 1 26 let us make man in our image but the problem is that these people don't want to read verse 27 all right verse 27 verse 26 tells you what he said verse 27 tells you what he did and God made man in his own image. In the image of him created he him. It doesn't say he created, uh, they created him. Nothing about a plurality of God in the, in the verse. And verse 11 of Ephesians 1 can verify that God was not talking to a second person of the Trinity in Genesis 1.26. No, he wasn't. God didn't have to counsel with anybody. He, he counseled after his own will. It says that here. All right. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things. Everything he does. After the counsel of his own will. Not their own will. His own will. All right, there's a lot more to that. We're just touching on things here. Giving you some things to study and uh, get into. Ephesians 4 and verse 5 and 6. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. So verse 5 says that there's one Lord. Verse 6 says there's one God. There's not three Lords. There's not three Gods. As I've mentioned, if you've got separate persons in the Godhead, and each of them is Lord, and they're separate and distinct one from the other, then you have three Lords, because Jesus is Lord. You know, the first person's Lord, second person's Lord, third person's Lord. They, they say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Again, the latter two, are, they're not, those are not biblical terms. We, we're not to use those terms, God the Son and God the Holy Ghost, because that's not in the Bible. We need to speak where the Bible speaks. One God. There's one Lord and one God. So there's not God the Father and God the Son. That would make two gods, because there's two separate persons, they say. Then you add the, uh, God the Holy Ghost, uh, as they say, and that would make three persons and three gods no there's not three lords and three gods they don't agree with that i know that they don't you can say that to them and they they oh that's not what we believe okay well they do but they don't okay they'll say it but we should be speaking what we believe and believing what we say all right uh, I, it, again, it's we should not be believing things about God that's incorrect. When I already showed you, it's clearly seen, and they are without excuse. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, uh, verse 6. And this is, and you can read verse 5, says Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And verse 7 made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross we keep on reading but then go down to verse 11 and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord jesus christ is the lord jehovah remember i showed you last week in the old testament uh, before Christ came, they were very careful, the Old Testament Jews were, to capitalize all the letters in the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, because they were that was in reference to Jehovah. Well, we've already read Ephesians 4 and 5. There's one Lord, not two Lords, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. Jesus Christ is the one Lord of the Old Testament. That's right, Jesus Christ is Jehovah God, manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. So looking at Philippians a little bit more here, verse 5, referring to Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, yes he was, and then what? And made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. 
all right? All right? But verse 6 says he was in the form of God, all right? So in other words, this was God manifest in the flesh. He took upon himself the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and, of course, went to die upon the Christ cross. And verse 11, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one Lord of Ephesians 4 and 5. <clears throat> All right, let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Now, this is in reference to Jesus. You can read the previous verses and discover that. So we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Let's, let's get that. Jesus is the image, the image. What's an image? All right. Hmm. Uh, I was going to grab a coin. I was going to grab a quarter. Let's see. Do I have a quarter? Do I have a coin anywhere in here? No, I don't have any coins. <laughs> no, but you know what a quarter looks like. Let's just say you've got a quarter. Whose image is on the quarter? Uh, George Washington, right? You can't see George Washington. Of course, he's dead and buried. It's probably just bones in that casket wherever he is today. But that image on that quarter is the image of George Washington. To us, George Washington is invisible. We can't see him. There's no way you're going to see him. It would be impossible. There is no way that you could see George Washington, the man. You can see his image. Okay. Again, George Washington is invisible. Abraham Lincoln's image is on that penny. All right. Sure. It'd be great to meet Abraham Lincoln and to see the real person of Abraham Lincoln alive in conversation. But we know he's dead and buried as well. So to us, he's also invisible. But you can see his image. Yes, you can see his image. Let's read this again. Who is the image? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's not a separate person. God is invisible. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. God is a spirit. John 4, 24. God is not a man that he should lie, but he became a man as we've been reading. All right. We just read that in Philippians. Quoted 1 Timothy three sixteen a number of times. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I told you we was going to talk about a coin a little bit. Let's talk about a mirror just a little bit. Let's say I was standing, you know, 20 feet from you. And I was standing behind a partition talking to you. And I'm completely invisible to you. You cannot see me where you are and where I am because I'm standing by, behind a partition. But I'm speaking to you. But over to uh, one side is a mirror. That mirror, let's say a full-size mirror that's say six foot high i'm about six foot one and so let's just say that mirror is angled just right to see me behind the partition can't see the physical me but from where you're standing you could see my image in the mirror huh that that what you're seeing in that mirror is the real image of the real me <laughs> it's not a separate person for me no it's not it's the same me you can't see me, but you're seeing my image, all right? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So think about the coin. Think about the mirror. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. What? Jesus is the creator of Genesis 1 and 1. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Wow. Remember John 1, 1 and 1 says the word was God. We'll go down to verse 10 of Verse 10 of that chapter, chapter 1, verse 10, it said he was in the world and the world was made by him. So the whole point of verse 1 is in reference to Jesus. The word was God. And verse 10 says he was in the world and the world was made by him. So we've got passage after passage telling us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the creator of heaven 
and earth. Very plain to see. It's in black and white right there in your Bible. All right, verse 17, still in first, uh, first, still in Colossians chapter 1. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. How was he before all things when he was born in Bethlehem? Because he's God manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. That's why how he is before all things. His flesh was born, but God always existed, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him uh, all things he might have the preeminence. Watch verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, in the Son of God, in the body, in the sacrifice, should all fullness dwell. All the fullness of the Father dwelt in Jesus. Again, Jesus said in St. John, I am in the Father and the Father in me. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he said to Philip. Isn't that what he said? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then Philip said, well, Lord, show us the Father. And he says, Philip, have I been so long time with you, yet thou hast not known me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> Again, here, Colossians 1, 19, 4, Please the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Jesus is the Father made flesh. Praise God. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Don't you just love that? Colossians 1, uh, still verse chapter 1, verses, uh, look at verse 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from, eight, here we go again on this mystery, right? How many times have we talked about it today? If you, if you listen to the last podcast, we even talked about it, I believe. Even the mystery which hath been hid, it hath been hid from all generations, ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. This, the mystery of the Godhead was a mystery until Christ came. And then uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, I believe it was the angel that said, Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. It doesn't say that Emmanuel's interpretation is the second per person of the Trinity with us. No, it doesn't say, you know, Jehovah Jr. It says God with us. There's only one God, and he's with us now in flesh, because God was manifest in the flesh. Even the mystery which hath been hid from all generations, ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Let me tell you about my father-in-law. My late father-in-law passed away. So uh, he, my mother-in-law was witnessing to him long before they were married, I guess a couple of years before they were married, whatever. And they weren't even dating, but uh, my, my mother-in-law was apostolic, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. She was talking to um, her to-be uh, future husband, which she didn't know that at the time, but she was just witnessing him like she always, she was a great witness. And um, she began to talk to him about the God. He was a Baptist preacher. All right, no. No shadow against the Baptists, you know, <laughs> not at all. Uh, but he was a Baptist preacher and believed in the Trinity and baptized in the Trinity and didn't have the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues. But she witnessed him and witnessed him and gave him written information and did all that she could. And he could not see the oneness of God, could not see it, prayed about it. He, he, he was so desperate to know the truth and he was so concerned that he might be missing something because he was honest hearted. And that's what you have to be honest hearted. He went on a seven day fast. He fasted for seven days. And then one, one day, uh, if I have the story exactly, it's been a while since my wife has told me, she's told me several times, but I love this story. I believe it's how he woke up one night or uh, he sat up in bed and there stood a, there stood a heavenly being uh, at the foot of his bed and said to him, held holding up one finger saying, I am one. That's right. Holding up his index finger saying, I am one. <laughs> and from that point, whenever he looked into scripture, when he began to read the Bible, all he could see was the oneness of God. He had no more problem seeing. Listen, you can't depend upon an angel. No, no, no. You, you've got to depend upon the word. But that was a supernatural experience. And God had a purpose in that. All right. Uh, yes, he did. <laughs> and so we won't go into that, but an amazing, amazing testimony 
uh, of what God did. Colossians 2 and 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Who's that talking about? Jesus Christ. For in him, in Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness, not part of the fullness. You see, the question is, they ask, well, is Jesus in the Godhead or is the Godhead in Jesus? Let me tell you something. The Godhead is in Jesus. Why? For in him dwelleth all. Somebody say all. The fullness. <laughs> the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus Christ. In that body of Jesus Christ dwells the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Why? The Father of creation was in him. That's right. Jesus looked at his disciples, disciples and said, He that is with you shall be in you. All right. So he said, I will not leave you com comfortless. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And he did. He came back in spirit form in Acts chapter two. Praise God. Colossians chapter three, verse one. If ye then being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Oh, see, there's there you go. There you go. Yeah, there he is. Yes. There's the son sitting next to the father sitting on his right side. He's not sitting on his right side. Nobody's sitting on the right side. Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If you're going to take that literal, right, you have to say that Jesus is sitting on the hand of God. Don't you think his hand would get sore after all these years? Thousands of years? <laughs> no, it's symbolic language. The right hand is symbolic language. You, you, you study it out, all right, if you're not sure about that. But remember the passage in um, Exodus when God was leading out the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Bible says that God led them out by the right hand of Moses, that God led the Jews out, the Israelites out of Egypt by the right hand of Moses. Did Moses take you know millions of Jews? They estimated maybe three million Jews each one. He took them by the right hand. They all held hands with Moses' right hand. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about power and authority. See, the right hand is a symbol of power and authority. Nowhere in the Bible does the left hand is it used to symbolize power and authority. But that's a that's a term that they used. Uh, in that day, like we have our own terms, as we talked about, Jesus said, if I with the finger of God cast out devils, you think Jesus is standing around somewhere with his finger, plucking devils out, uh, casting devils out of people with his finger? No, that's symbolic language. You know, in other words, to show you the power of God, it doesn't even need a whole hand. You just pluck him out with his finger. That's not literal. That's figurative language. All right. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even the Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Some say, well, Jesus comes back. He's the Father and the Son are coming back. They're coming back. Both of them are coming back to get the church, They're coming back in the rapture, whatever. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does not say at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Jesus is coming to get his church. All right, let's, let's tie that in a little bit here. Hold on to that. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one God, it says, says it again, who gave himself for all to be testified in due time. Who gave himself. Who gave himself. Not one person giving another one. Tying that into a little while ago when we were talking about that. All right. First Timothy 3.16. And with a, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Have you ever slowed down and just studied that? Great is the mystery of godliness. But it was revealed. It was revealed. We read it over and over tonight. It was revealed. God was manifest in the flesh. The spirit. Okay, took upon himself the seed of Abraham in the likeness of men. God was justified in the spirit. God was seen of angels. Didn't, didn't angels appear at, at the birth of Jesus? Didn't the angels come and minister to Jesus as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? Angels saw God in flesh. All right? God preached unto the Gentiles. God preached unto the Gentiles. God was believed on in the world. God was received up into glory. When was God received up into glory? After Jesus rose from the dead. All right. His 11 disciples standing there. And they saw him ascend. 
right into the heavens after he gave them commandment to go to, to all the world and preach the gospel. God was believed on in the world, received up into glory. All right, uh, I believe that's 1 Timothy 4.10. For Here's another verse here, 1 Timothy 4.10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Who is the living God? He is the Savior of all men. I thought Jesus was the Savior. There's only one Savior, my friend. I hope you're getting this. All right, 1 Timothy 6, verse 14. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's coming back? Is it the Father and the Son? Is it the first person and the second person? What are they going to do with the Holy Spirit? Leave him up into heaven somewhere and twiddle his thumbs and bite his fingernails? Ah, oh, that's silly talk, isn't it? The whole thing is silly talk. One is coming back, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back because he's God manifest. We're going to see the nail scars in his hands. See, 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says, At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6.14 says, Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Beautiful, I love it. And then if you keep on reading down to 15, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. In other words, the only one that has power, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Who is that? Jesus is the only potentate. He is the only one that has power. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. How could you say that about three separate lords? You can't. Verse 16 who only hath immortality, Jesus. Immortality? Yes. Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. How is that? Because he's God Almighty. What did he do when he came in Matthew chapter 1? He changed names. Why? Because he came in flesh. That's why you cannot find the word Jehovah in the New Testament part of your Bible. You cannot find the word Jesus in the Old Testament part of your Bible. He simply changed names and changed uh, into a form and fashion as a man. All right, so that he could take blood and die upon a cross for our sins. He gave himself as we've been showing you. Second Timothy 4 and verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Not love their appearing, that love his appearing. We've, I've showed you two previous verses in the last few minutes. All those that love his appearing. Praise God. Not a multiple, multiple, multi, I can't even talk tonight. Uh, not, not in a triune God. Not in multiple persons coming. Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, thank you, Jesus. A few more verses here. We're about out of time. Titus 2, verses 13, 14. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. Huh? The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, there we go. There you go, Brother Otis. Two of them are coming. The appearing of the great God and our Savior. You know that word and, A-N-D, can be interchanged or changed out for the word even. Let's, let's just try that. And the glorious appearing of the great God, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who gave himself for us. There we are. Is that the third time or the fourth time I've showed you where the scripture says he gave himself for us? All right. You need to write this down right here. John 3, 16. 1 Timothy 3, 16. 1 John 3, 16. There you go. John 3, 16. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 1 Timothy 3.16, that God was manifest in the flesh, will help explain John 3.16. And then 1 John 3.16 will also help because it says that God laid down his life. That's right. God laid down his life in 1 John 3.16. Just made a note of that here. So I would give you that little 
part here. Now, uh, there is more I could cover in Hebrews. Uh, we have basically run out of time here on this podcast today. Uh, some say that Paul wrote Hebrews. Some say that he did not. Not sure about that. Uh, that everybody has their opinion. My opinion is that he probably did write that. I would love to go through that with you. But again, we're basically out of time. I think I've given you a whole lot. And I thank you for listening to everything apostolic. Hey, don't forgive it to, to go over there and um, give us five stars. We, we we need more people giving us five stars. I thank everybody that has done that, that has loved this uh, this podcast, Everything Apostolic. Give us a, that rating and review and uh, make a comment there on Spotify and the other platforms if they allow it. And, uh, yep, we would uh, appreciate you sharing this on your uh, your your favorite social media. I know many of you share it on Facebook and other platforms, and I see that sometimes, and I do so greatly appreciate that. And we would, we do want to preach the truth and spread the truth to every soul possible. Thank you again for listening to Everything Apostolic. This is Charles Rodas. Have a beautiful day. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Everything Apostolic Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating and review for it as it provides tremendous feedback to this ministry. Don't forget, more resources are available at www.charlesarotis.com. There you will find Pastor Rotis's books and also the newsletter and a free gift when you subscribe to the newsletter. Until next time, be blessed in Jesus' name.